0: Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees Podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Jo Millmine and this is episode 83, an interview with Helen Lockhart of Ripples Crafts. The Shiny Bees Podcast is delighted to be sponsored by Fluff, Dundee's premier yarn shop. Fluff is based in Blackness Road in Dundee and also has an online shop at www.fluff.co.uk. Stockists of both mainstream and indie yarns, including The Wool Kitchen and their very own line of yarns, Rusty Ferret. To find out more, click through the link in the show notes or head to www.fluff.co.uk Hello everybody and welcome to the show. A warm welcome to any returning listeners I have today, a pleasure to be back with you as always and of course any new listeners that have found your way to the podcast this week and if this is your first time with us, I really hope you'll enjoy what you find here. If you like a little bit of random banter, not taking ourselves too seriously and lots of dogs in comedy knitwear, then this is probably the podcast for you. So how are you? How have you been since last time I spoke to you? I hope you're well and I hope you're enjoying your knitty week, working on your projects, getting your things ready for your re wind knit along. There's lots of chatter going on in the Ravelry group about that, so it'd be great to see you over there if you feel like reliving a previously missed knit along or indeed one that you took part in and would like to do again, then we're all about basically gratuitously reliving our favourite knit alongs. So there is a thread in the Groupon Ravelry, head over there and there'll be a link in the show notes to it and you can join in with a bit of fun. I am going to be Knitting Lush by Tin can Knits and I'm not even sorry, it's going to be hand-dyed red yarn, it's going to have sparkles, I'm totally overexcited. So my mission will be to find some lovely buttons to go with it. So, other than that, it's all been really fun. I went on a little walkabout last week, went to Milton Keynes. Any of my listeners live in Milton Keynes? It's a bit of an interesting one. Um, I'd never been to Milton Keynes before and I actually weirdly quite liked it. Now for those of you that are not particularly familiar with UK geography or indeed tones, Milton Keynes is a tone in, she says, Bedfordshire. Bedfordshire? I think it is, isn't it? Um, But it's basically kind of on the way to London and so therefore it counts as down south to me. And my friend Sock Kate, who you've heard on the podcast previously, uh, lives there at the moment. I went to visit her and explored Milton Keynes a little bit. Really strange place. It looked exactly like America. All the roads were really straight and all the buildings were matching and glass and all of the car parks went around the buildings exactly like do in the States and in Canada. It was really strange, but I kind of quite liked it. It was a bit of a planning experiment in sort of the, the 60s with these new towns that they started to build to deal with the kind of burgeoning population. And yeah, loads of roundabouts, loads of dual carriageways, loads of matching glass buildings did not look like the UK does at all. and um, Because usually, there'll be sort of some really, really old bits. I mean, there are where I live because it was a Roman town. So there'll be some super old bits sort of like dotted around on the main roads. And then there'll be a lot of, particularly in the north, a lot of Victorian architecture. A bit of Georgian, but a lot of Victorian architecture because that's when a lot of the money was being made with the mills and the cotton industry and coal and the Industrial Revolution. Um, so I live in a big Victorian house, as you know, Um that was you know, built by a builder actually um, who built the street that I live on that the builder built this house so it's not a massive villa it wasn't a mill owner or anything it, but he built all of the mill owner's houses essentially so you get a lot of that and then you'll tend to kind of get everything going on sort of like a, a spider almost or spokes from a wheel from the middle of town sort of going outwards and this is all kind of like really gridiron and American in Milton Keys. very strange um, but very very nice place actually, I really liked it, for somewhere that I didn't think I would like because I'm big into my Victoriana. I really enjoyed it and then in the afternoon, I went across to Countess Blaze. I do love it there, I would move in I think she does it on purpose, she gets Tunnock's tea cakes in because I like them and I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry at all and it's only about 25 minutes on the train for me uh, to the studio and then off the train it's about 5 minute walk so I met lovely Laurie who travelled over from America. She's a listener to the podcast, so send a digital wave to her. She's Laurie Crafty on Ravelry, if you want to say hello. And she's been over here for Jolie Creates, formerly Jolie's Kitchen, for her knitting retreat, which took place in Manchester. And obviously, as there was an opportunity to go hang out with some podcast listeners and go to Countess Blaze And, you know, as a visitor to the country, she needed to be accompanied. <laughs> she did. And I was the person to take on that role, you know. It was, it was a tough job. And we had a lovely afternoon chatting and having fun in Lindsay's studio, eating tonnets tea cakes and having a jolly, lovely time. Very woolly. Got to do some knitting and uh, show Larissa because Larissa Travel Knitter was there. As well she'd come to visit the countess and to go to the retreat and I was knitting with her yarn so it was lovely to show her that because she hadn't actually kept one for herself Um so it was nice to show her how far I got with the project and how it was turning out so it was a very nice week for me I hope you guys all had a lovely week too so now you've caught up with me and everything that's been going on what have we got to look forward to today well I have an interview for you from one of my favorite storytellers uh, Helen Lockhart of Ripplescraft Yarns, who's based in the Highlands of Scotland, and she's formerly of South Africa and moved over to the UK and sort of travelled away further and further north and has found herself now in um, Ascent in the Highlands. She dyes beautiful hand-dyed yarns that are inspired by her surroundings and she takes lots of inspiration from the natural world and interprets that into lovely colourways on very luxurious basis as I said she's a brilliant storyteller and if you have seen or are part of her yarn clubs you'll have experienced that firsthand. and I will pop something in the show notes for you to have a look so you can see it for yourself but I'm delighted to get her on the show I've been dying to have her on for ages and she was an absolute treat to interview you can find her at ripplescrafts.co.uk if you need to go over there right now to have a look at the yarn and she'll also be vending at Edinburgh Yarn Festival if you're going So I heartily recommend you get yourselves a Tunnock's Tea Cake or a Caramel Bar or indeed anything by Tunnock's. It's all delicious and it's definitely not calorific. Get yourself a cup of tea, put your feet up and we'll crack on with the interview. So I am delighted today to welcome Helen Lockhart of Ripple's Crafts Yarns based in the Scottish Highlands onto the show. How are you Helen? I'm fine, thanks Jo. Super. um. So for those who maybe aren't that familiar with you, and um, I can't think you wouldn't be by now, but if they aren't, can you tell yeah. us a, a little bit about you as a person and how you came to be interested in Yarny Pursuits?
1: Uh, Well, I was actually born and raised in Southern Africa, um, and I had most of my my education there. Uh, But we were back and forth to the UK a lot with my parents for various reasons. Um, And I considered the UK pretty much my second home. Uh, My mum was a very proficient sewer and knitter. Uh, She made all our clothes and school cardigans, uh, but I only ever acquired her knitting skills. Uh, Sewing is still very much a dark art to me. I'm absolutely hopeless when it comes to picking up a needle. Um, I don't remember ever learning how to knit. It just seems to be something that I've always done. And I do remember at school, uh, I must have been no older than about seven or eight, uh, learning how to or being taught how to knit socks on four needles which is a great age to teach kids that because at that age, you've got no concept that four needles may be more difficult than two needles. Um, so I do remember that, uh, but I don't remember actually learning how to cast on, how to do knit or purl. It just seems to have been something I I think I absorbed from my mum. We now are living in an area of the Scottish Highlands called Assent. Uh, we came here through quite a long, uh, route um, we started off in hampshire and steadily moved further north and now are about as far north on the british mainland as we can go um, and this place has a great history of having a spirit of independence about it and that suits both our characters and my business um, so we're pretty much settled now in ascent
0: oh lovely i think it's for having lived in, in south africa for a while it's certainly something that's ingrained into the um, African uh, psyche is this being really independent and just not being afraid to go out there and try things and almost looking for opportunities to do that rather than the pedestrian lifestyles
1: I think that's very true I think that that is very true and particularly the places that we lived in were pretty out in the middle of nowhere um, and and you had to sort of make do with what you had you had to be creative with with what you had so you know my mum would be constantly adjusting uh, dresses from my older sisters to fit me or um, adding bits of fabric to a dress to make it slightly longer you know almost like patchwork uh, but but something that looked pretty Um, you just have to be creative in how you manage things
0: absolutely So taking it then from moving over to the UK and then kind of migrating north to the Scottish Highlands, Mm -hmm. what was the tipping point that turned what had been your hobby for quite a long time, or something you'd known how to do for quite a long time, into a business?
1: It was... Um, Really, when we moved to Assent that the business started, uh, we'd we'd had this house for a number of years before we moved here, Um, but we'd always, we'd been, we were living in the Scottish borders at the time Um, and we both had full-time jobs, uh, well-paid jobs. I was working um, in the pharmaceutical industry in their personnel department Um, and I managed to make myself redundant, which uh, triggered the need for me to do something else um, and at that point i started to dabble with dyeing yarn after i'd received a dying lesson from lindsay roberts who you may know as the border tart mm-hmm. um, and i was absolutely hooked and i never considered myself as artistic or even really creative uh, but yarn dyeing was the artistic and creative niche that i think i had been looking for for some time um, and so once we moved north it became the full-time job for me and that was back in 2008, and we've really not looked back
0: since. Oh, it's so exciting. And really strange how many people who are working in the industry or dyeing yarn or creating patterns who you wouldn't think would be that creative because they'd come from quite sort of scientific jobs like engineering or architecture or things like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I mean, I'd, I'd been... Um, in a variety of, of jobs but they were all office-based admin type things um, and really none of them I'd been in the oil industry pharmaceutical industry so really none of them particularly creative <laughs> in mm. any way um, so it was a great release to be able to move and in, move into a, a you know a job that was just so creative um, and really just filled that Need and me for for having an outlet for creativity.
0: Wonderful. Now via your blog and um, occasionally you see pictures on Twitter, we get to sort of see your kind of surroundings and your lifestyle in the Highlands. So can you tell us what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs>
1: typical day um, starts pretty early in the dye shed I once the days start to get a bit longer and and lighter I try to be there between 8 and 830 so that I can put a whole load of yarn on to to soak Um, and once that's done it it takes a while so dyeing doesn't start immediately so once that's uh, on soaking I make up orders that have come in overnight um, and usually dispatch my husband um to the post office with those while I get on with dyeing. Um, and again, because I kettle dye everything, it takes quite a lot of it takes quite a long time for the colours to cure. Uh, so while pots are bubbling, um, I spend time on my computer catching up with social media, doing some admin, perhaps doing a bit of tinkering of the website or perhaps some stock taking. But we also have dogs and hens. So eggs have to be collected, and dogs walked, and part of the joy of being self-employed and independent means that we don't have to have a rigid structure. So if the weather is brilliant, um, we make the most of it and head out for a good long walk. I can always catch up with dying when the weather isn't so great. Um, And the lack of rigidity is part of what I love about the indie life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly one of the plus points. So taking it from that then can you tell us a little bit about your creative process because i know you are a fantastic storyteller um <laughs> and i think that is also an african thing um but could you tell us a bit about your creative process when you develop a new colourway?
1: yeah we live in what we consider to be one of the most beautiful parts of the uk um, we only have to step outside the door and through the gate and we're straight into the The hills um, which is you know very lovely and and we try and remember how fortunate we are with with having that in under 10 minutes we can walk to a beautiful loch which is surrounded by hills um, in one direction and in the other direction we can walk to the coast with stunning cliffs and sea vistas and color is everywhere even in midwinter when everything looks tired and a little brown if you look really closely at things you can see color in the rocks or in the lichen um, even the bracken which is a menace up here it just changes color all the time um, and it's this that inspires me to create the colors what colourways that i i use on my yarns um, it usually starts by taking photographs and um, I spend a lot of time looking through photographs that I've taken and looking for inspiration. Um, and then I'll, I'll choose a particular photograph and transfer some of the colors that um, stand out in that picture onto the yarn. Um, there's often artistic license, of course, um, but I try and give an overall view rather than matching up specific colors. Um, but it is inevitably the landscape that inspires me. Um, and our surroundings. Um, Part of the process is lots and lots of testing. Um, Sometimes I never get, uh, or I'm never satisfied with with accurately interpreting what I see in the landscape or in a photograph, Um, but at other times it is just right from the start and um, I'm happy instantly. But I also need to take into account the way different fibers take dyes, and so what works on one yarn base may not necessarily work on another one. Uh, And so there's a lot of trial and error in in yarn dyeing, but I do try very hard to convey a sense of place um, with my dyeing. And I think one of the biggest pleasures for me is when people come up to me and say, oh, that particular colorway reminds me so much of the holiday we had in Ascent, when I was a child or last year or, you know, it just makes my day when people do that. Mm -hmm. And I think every dyer does it differently. And um, I think that even, well, I've always maintained, if you give two dyers um, the same colours to work with, they will produce something very different. Um, and, And that's part of the fun of it.
0: Absolutely. So, no journey is ever a smooth one. And running its business has its ups and downs. Can you tell us about a time when things maybe didn't quite go to plan, what happened and what did you learn as a result of it?
1: Yeah, failure isn't, isn't something I sort of like, I don't like to use that word, and it's gonna sound pompous, but I'm not sure I've really failed at anything, but there have obviously been times when things haven't been a great success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my lowest point was when I agreed after a lot of external pressure to do a trade show it was just too early on in my journey as a yarn dyer and i should never have agreed to do it and it was a complete disaster for me in terms of sales um, and expense Um, it wasn't entirely my fault the attendance at the trade show was very poor um, and so not many of the stallholders were, were at all happy but it taught me to have the courage of my convictions to say no when pressured into doing something that i didn't feel was right for me, or the right market, or the right time. Um, And even though it was pretty much a a dismal failure, I I did learn a lot from doing it um, in terms of how to approach external businesses, um, and and mainly to trust my intuition and know when something isn't right for me
0: it's a really important point and if you get that sort of feeling in your stomach and you're like this this doesn't feel right I'm not feeling warm and fuzzy you're almost hmm. always right
1: absolutely absolutely
0: but it's so easy you know when... Oh, it is.
1: and especially when you've got external pressure to mm-hmm. you know to do and um, everyone else is saying oh it could be great for you it'll be so good for your business and you're thinking "Mm, I'm not sure about that Um, it is very hard to say no
0: absolutely so taking it from some really good lessons that we can share there to the high point then what has been the high point of your journey so far
1: oh that's another really hard question
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like to try and savour it all the
1: little successes along the way, and so picking one is quite hard, but I think that being accepted as a stall holder to Woolfest for the first time was a huge high point for me. Um, That was in 2009, and it was the first big show I'd ever done, this is Woolfest in Cumbria. Um, And I had a tiny little stand, uh, but it was a massive step into the unknown for me, and I loved every single minute of it. And that really set me on the wool festival path. And I think doing shows is still one of my favourite things about the business. Um, I love meeting customers, old and new, and it gives me such a kick to see people walking around a festival wearing things that they've made in my yarn in which I've dyed. I just love it. Um, But more recently, I think another high point has been collaborating with my husband Stephen on the yarn notes from Ascent Yarn Club. Um, This began last year in uh, 2015, um, and it really was a good success with the members who we had last year, so we repeated the collaboration this year. Um, Each month we pick a specific location in Assent, and Stephen, who is a graduate of uh, Scottish Cultural Studies, um, he writes up notes about the location that we've chosen. He focuses mainly on the cultural history of the location, but he may talk about anything from geology to sociological significances, to um, archaeology. Uh, He writes up the notes and they get sent along with a picture postcard of the location we've chosen, um, with a hank of yarn featuring colours which I've interpreted from the photograph. Um, And it's been great fun collaborating with him on this project.
0: That sounds um like a really interesting take on a yarn club because you sort of almost get into travel via the medium of yarn and learn something and then you get to knit with it as well
1: yeah I, I it is interesting reading the comments from members um they quite often they say they open the package and the first thing they do because the yarn is always wrapped in tissue paper the first thing they do is read the notes and look at the picture and try and work out what the colours are going to be of the hank of yarn before they actually unwrap it out of the tissue paper <laughs> and they see if they can guess what I've what I've dyed um, so it's, it's it's fun and it's just a, that little bit different.
0: So what one thing that you know now uh, did you wish you had known when you first picked up a ball of yarn?
1: Oh um I think one of the biggest things that I have learned about dyeing yarn is that even though I don't love the results of a particular dye bath, it doesn't mean that somebody else won't. Um, there's such a huge breadth of tastes and likes and dislikes when it comes to colour. So even if a hank of yarn maybe languishes in the bottom of a box for a wee while, The day will come when somebody picks it up and falls in love with it. And I wish I'd known that when I started dying um, and didn't try to please everybody in terms of colour, but to experiment, be bold enough to experiment a little bit and maybe have some unusual results. But one day someone's going to come along and say, I've been looking for that particular colour for ages. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's always somebody out there who'll who'll love it.
0: Cool. Well... Taking it then from what you've learned and so which you, what you wish you'd known to desert islands skeins. If you were going to be marooned on a desert island and you could only take one skein or ball of yarn, what would you be? What would it be, and why? Oh, that is such an unfair question, Joe. <laughs>
1: That's so hard. I think it would have to be a four ply yarn because four ply is just so versatile. Um, You can double it up and use it to make something thicker out of it or you can just use it as a four ply and it will do loads of different things. Um, It would probably have to be purple um, or at least contain purple. Anyone who knows me knows that that's my my favourite colour. it's so difficult because as soon as I get in the new yarn base, I love that one. Um, <laughs> at the moment, I'm really enjoying working with the Buras base, uh, which is a, a single ply merino yarn. Um, it soaks up the dye beautifully and it reflects the colour in such a pleasing way. It's It's got a real shine to it. It almost looks like it contains silk. Um, but then I think, oh, but what about the blue face Leicester four-ply or the reliable sock because it's so hardy and multi-purpose um so you see my problem I, I can't choose one Joe. I can't I would have to be marooned on the island and they'd have to chuck a ball at yarn of me at me over the side of the boat and I'd 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 cope with it.
0: No, you're going to get acrylic or funfair if you do that though don't you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um I'd make sure I was sailing on a boat that only had pure wool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) So taking it from indecision about yarn um, on a desert island to your (laughs) favourite or go-to resource for yarn craft or business, uh, which one could you not do without?
1: I know it sounds really lame, but it would be my computer. Um, in terms of the business. I, I couldn't be without it. Um, I use it so much to research yarn bases, um, look for new um, yarns, keep in touch with others, uh, keep up to speed with social media. It's the way I reach my customers old and new and um, yeah it would have to be my computer.
0: Yeah definitely. I'm, I'm overly attached to my MacBook now. <laughs> like i can't possibly put this anywhere but right next to me because my life is in there if it goes that's it doesn't matter if it's in the cloud you know that's I'm like, i know it's all in the cloud but it's on it's in the computer <laughs> i no, mean, I, that one. I just can't do it without it oh brilliant so where is the best place for listeners to come and find you well the website my
1: shop site is at www.ripplescrafts.com. um and I will also be at Edinburgh Yarn Festival in March, um, where I will oh, Yeah, yay! <laughs> where I'll have a lovely large stand. Um, and I'll be at the Highland Wool Festival in Dingwall on the 21st of May. And I'll be at Woolfest in June. Um, and then the only one beyond the only show that, that's definitely booked beyond June is the Loch Ness Knitting Festival in. Late September, early October, I'll be there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But if folk happen to be holidaying in Ascent, um, they can always pop into the dye shed if they're passing. They just need to drop me a line first to check that I'm there because it's not a shop, it is my workshop. Um, But if they want to see a bit of how the process works, they're more than welcome to do that.
0: And if they get lost, one of the locals will take it upon themselves to point it out, I take it. (laughs) They do. <laughs> yeah. I've I've had various times when
1: I've had uh, a, a neighbour from quite far away, from a few miles away, turn up and say, Oh, I found so and so and they would they asked me if I knew what the lady who died Yarn was and so I've just brought them around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Northern Scotland's amazing. <laughs> I know, I know. Um so do you have any parting words of advice then for those who are maybe thinking about getting into the industry
1: You absolutely have to have a passion for dyeing yarn um it 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 goes without saying but it really is the most important point and you have to be prepared for quite physical work I mean you're lugging you know heavy pots of water containing boiling water usually containing lots of yarn in them um so it's quite physical work and you have to be prepared to do the business networking side of things as well. Um, and to say nothing, of course, of all the admin associated, so um, keeping the yarn the website up to date, um, photographing the yarn as accurately as you can to reflect the correct colors. Um, and you do everything from, you know starting to dye the yarn through the whole process to labeling it, wrapping it up, putting a label on the envelope, all that is um, part of the job. It's not just the nice bit of standing in front of the pots and adding colour to them. Um, there's a whole gambit of things that have to be done. But, you know, if you're enthusiastic enough and passionate enough, it, it works.
0: Lovely. So let's get a bit excited because we like to know what's coming up and have things to look forward to. Mm -hmm. What's next for you in your business? What can we look forward to from Ripple's Crafts?
1: Well, um, I've been working on a couple of collaborations, um, the most recent being with Kari Westerman. Uh, She's just released uh, Frances herself, a beautiful shawl pattern. Um, So that has just come out. And also today, um, due to be released today, is a collaboration I did with Lucy Hague, Um, She has written up a pattern or designed a pattern called Dunedin, um, which is a shawl pattern to be included in the Edinburgh Yarn Festival magazine, which uh, goes on release today, I think, um, which has been exciting. But also uh, Asa Tricosa is using Mm -hmm. one of my yarn bases, my Sylvan yarn base, which is a merino, silk and yak four ply base. Um, She'll be using that for her upcoming book. Um, which is very exciting for me Um, and then just generally I'm always on the lookout for new yarn bases which I think will appeal Um, my my aim at the moment is to find a a Scottish grown spun yarn which I can dye um, in order to produce a a truly Scottish product Um, but that's proving a little elusive at the moment Um, but I keep looking um and so i never know what might suddenly appear um yeah that's about it i think just lots of shows during the year and um the yarn club is is keeping on going um folk can join that at any time they don't have to sign up at the beginning of a a year for that um yeah i think that's about it joe
0: Lovely. Well, plenty to look forward to there. And obviously, I'll make sure we put links, appropriate enabling links in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Well, Helen, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and agreeing to an interview. I've been very excited about interviewing you for a while because I know what a wonderful storyteller you are. And it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you. And thank you um, for, for having me. It's been great.
0: Well, how good was that? I really enjoyed that interview and I hope you will too. Aside from the odd canine interruption, I think they could hear me talking upstairs and thought they were badly missing out on something. Uh, Wish they were, quite frankly. So, that isn't everything. I have something else for you. Helen, very kindly, has offered for listeners of the podcast a giveaway of a hank of her Stormy Seas colourway the yarn that was used in the Lucy Hague shawl for the uh, Dunedin pattern that she mentioned that's just been released on Monday in the Wool Tribe which is Edinburgh Yarn Festival's uh, hard copy it's not a catalogue, it's a kind of like a pa- pattern collection slash magazine that is out now, I'll put a link in the show notes to that, but if you would like an opportunity to win that skin of yarn, head over to the Gripon Ravelry and put a reply in the thread for this giveaway and let me know which of Helen's colourways is your favourite from ripplescrafts.co.uk I'll put all the links in that thread so you don't have to kind of jump around everywhere. One of my favourites is called A Slice of Lime which reminds me of gin and we all know how much I like gin and I know how many of you do too. So yes, for your chance to win, head over to Ravelry and um, put your favourite colourway name in the reply for to enter the uh, prize draw. So, thank you, a huge thank you to Helen for offering that uh, lovely, lovely, lovely prize as a giveaway. Very exciting. And if you are going to Edinburgh Yarn Festival and you pop by the Ripples Craft stall, usually Helen's accompanied by the utterly wonderful Dorothy Stewart, who hand weaves the most gorgeous hand dyed silk hand-woven scarves you've ever seen. I've got about four, bought one for my mum. They're absolutely amazing. Um, so have a look at those whilst you're also having a look at uh, Helen's beautiful yarns that will be there. And do tell her, if you've listened to this podcast and you've heard her, please do tell her that you heard the interview as well because I know she'll be really excited to hear that. She is as much fun in real life as she sounds in this interview. So, I'm afraid that's all i have got time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I will look forward to chatting to you all again next week when I have some some an Irish, somewhat Irish-themed podcast for you. So in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Happy crafting, and I'll speak to you all again soon. Bye. To the Shiny Bees Podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy, and yarn in equally large measures. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do so via the blog, or I'm Shiny Bees on Ravelry, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and Facebook. You can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. Music for this episode is provided by a music alley, and it is Adam and the Walter Boys, and I Need a Drink. I need a drink.